Eagles Entertainment. The journey of the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. I'm your host, Fran Duffy. We've got a loaded show today. At the very top of the show, we've got Mr. Relevant. Ross Tucker is going to join the show. Uh, look... You guys all are familiar with Ross Tucker. You can follow him on Twitter at Ross Tucker NFL. He's the Eagles color analyst for the preseason, does a whole host of other media gigs. You can catch him on the Ross Tucker football podcast. He's going to join the show. We're going to talk all about the this part of the pre-draft process for these prospects coming out of college. So we'll talk all about that with Ross, as well as a few players he's got some hot takes on in Mr. Relevant. After that, Chris McPherson, Ben Fennell, and I go through draft buzz. We've got pick six, really fun category this week. Six players with pro comparisons that we love. We'll hit on that in pick six and then some questions from you at home in our draft mailbag. Before we get into the rest of the show, quick reminder once again, if you haven't yet, Go on to PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash journey survey. Fill out a quick four to five minute survey. Just all about content. It's all trying to make this show better moving forward, not just into the fall of 2020, but beyond that. So whatever you like, whatever you don't like, you can share that with us on our survey. You can go again, PhiladelphiaEagles.com slash journey survey, or you can go right onto your phone, wherever you're listening to the show. You can go into the episode description. You can go onto my Twitter feed at FDuffy3. I tweet the link out there as well. So wherever you listen, if you have a chance to go on and fill out that survey. Really, really appreciate the help from all of you that have done that. All right, let's get to the top of the show. It's time now for Mr. Relevant. It's time for Mr. Relevant. Well, excited to welcome back to the show a guy who really doesn't need an introduction. If you listen to the show, you know Ross Tucker, who is just recently announced to just signed a, an extension to be the Eagles color commentator for preseason broadcast. Ross, uh, welcome back to the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Fran, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You know me, man. Anything I can do, anything Eagles related, anything with the Eagles, I'm all over it. And obviously beyond fired up to do the preseason games uh, the next few years at least. Kind of crazy how many guys that played in the preseason games last year ended up making big plays for the Eagles in December to get them a division championship. Yeah, it was uh, you, know, you could go back to your calls from preseason game two and preseason game four, and uh, you could have just cut and paste and put them into week 16, week 15, uh, and it would have worked just fine. But uh, Ross, we're also going to have you on for Eagles Draft Central uh, in April, which will be a lot of fun. Excited to have you uh, in studio for that week of action in April for draft weekend. So excited, excited, excited to dive into uh, deeper into this glass with you uh, here in a few weeks. But well, first one, before we talk about some players here, I want to ask you just about this process, this point of the process right now. And obviously, look, it's going to get impacted a little bit, I would imagine, by what's going on in the world with uh, with coronavirus and everything. But look, all these guys, all these prospects, they're all on the road constantly right now, right? I mean, you've got not just your pro day, but private workouts you're doing all over the country. Uh, you're doing the private visits, the top 30 visits with teams. What is that like uh, you know, as a prospect? And you're coming off the combine. You weren't at the combine, but just kind of speak to what's going on with all these guys right now at this point in the process. Yeah, so there's really three different things. There's the pro day, there's the private workouts, and there's the top 30 visits. And they really all serve different purposes in my mind. You know, the pro day – 
you're still looking to improve upon your testing marks, physical testing numbers from the combine if you feel like you need to do better in a certain area or if you're one of the guys that wasn't invited to the combine. And it's kind of amazing to me, Fran, to look at the fact, I think it was 337 guys that were invited to the combine. And yet I can name guys, you know, I follow Penn State pretty closely. I mean, Steven Gonzalez started four years at left guard for them. Jan Johnson, the last couple of years at middle linebacker for them, both guys I would expect to at least get into camps. And yet they weren't invited to the combine. That's pretty much every school, right? So uh, the pro day is vitally important for the prospects that were not invited to the combine, probably lesser so for the guys that were at the combine. Then you have the private workouts. And the difference between the private workouts and the pro day is the pro day is completely designed by the player or the school themselves for the most part. And so they can script things the way they want. They can choose to, I'm going to participate in this. I'm not going to do that drill, et cetera. Whereas the private workouts, you know, I can speak to this. Every team has different unique drills. They're going to want to put you through. So I can remember way back when Fran 2001 in Princeton, you know, we had several offensive line coaches come to work out myself and my teammate, Dennis Norman, who went on to play nine years in the NFL. And whether it was Mike Tice from the Vikings or, you know, Frank Verducci from the Bengals, you know, they had different specific things they wanted to see specific drills they wanted to put you through that was important to them when they were evaluating prospects. So much more specific, much more drill work that they do with their players and have an idea of what they're looking for. Then if they bring you in for an actual visit to the facility, that's usually more about getting to know you more from a character standpoint and your football intelligence. You know, when you go to an NFL team like the Eagles, they can't work you out at that point. So it's really more about just getting to know you, getting comfortable with you. Sometimes it's guys that have had off the field issues that they want to get more clarity on. Sometimes it's guys that they want to get a really good feel for how much football they know. Uh, but really all three things that are going on right now, pro day, private workouts, and these top 30 visit you know, private meetings, they're all really different and serve different purposes. Yeah, and I, I think one big important part you kind of take away from that too is, you know, I think you see websites all over the place, right, all over the media sphere that are tracking visits and tracking workouts. Just because a team works out a player or just because a team has a guy come in for a top 30, yeah, there's, there's interest, but we have no idea how that visit goes. We have no idea how that workout went. We have no idea what happens at those things. That So coming out of that, the team may feel like, yeah, that guy, we're not drafting that guy, or we can't take this guy here. Like, we have no idea what happens in those instances. So it's still tough to kind of peg, like, all right, like, uh, this team is interested in player X, Y, or Z. It's a great point, Fran. I had a pretty good idea from some of my private workouts. I had a pretty good idea that I was not going to be going to Mike Tyson to Vikings. <laughs> he did not seem overly impressed with my direction <laughs> on the flip side. I could tell that Frank Verducci and the Bengals really liked me. Um, so, you know, you never know. It's like anything else in life. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. 
I still remember getting a call from the Bengals in the first round of that draft. I'm sitting there watching the draft. I have like three phones in front of me. My parents had just gotten me my first cell phone. I had my, my uh, dorm room phone and the Bengals called and said, Hey, we just want you to let you know that we've got you high on our list as a uh, free agent for after the draft. But I mean, I knew I wasn't going in the first round, but it's still cool to get called by a team in the first round. So that's my story. I'm sticking with it. <laughs> well, that's a story that you have that I am not able to share, unfortunately, Ross. But uh, let's talk about some players that you know that you've had a chance to be able to see either up close or just doing some film study on some of these guys. And I know uh, one team you've gotten a chance to watch has been Oklahoma. You've seen them a couple times. I want to ask you about C.D. Lamb. You know, what are your thoughts on C.D. Lamb? You know, considered by most to be, uh, if not the number one receiver, the number two receiver in this draft. How do you view him and how he projects to the NFL? He is an extremely rare and gifted player. And I say that, Fran, because most guys are not exceptional in as many areas as he is exceptional. You know, he is an unbelievable contested catch, boundary receiver, ridiculous body control and hands that almost make you think of a guy like a, a, a DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not going to say he's quite on that level, but he makes some catches. I think he even made one, you know, at the combine where you're just like, how does he contort his body and have that kind of body control to be able to catch that? But the thing that I think separates him is what he does with the ball in his hands. You know, you wouldn't think he's six one, uh, a buck ninety. When you watch him run in the open field, you know, I, and, you know, having watched him on TV the first couple of years, I kind of thought he was like Hollywood Brown and was a, a more slender, smaller guy who could just really run like Marquise Hollywood Brown, who the Ravens took in the first round last year. But then you look at him up close and he's a good sized guy. I mean, he's, he's like six, one, a buck 90, like I said, but his, run after the catch ability is out of this world. He, he has a subtle way of setting up blocks, has ridiculous vision, and he's got this weird ability, Fran, to like throttle down like like 30 yards downfield and then speed up again and then relax for a little bit so this guy passes you and then turn it on again. And so that's why I say he's so rare is because I have a tough time thinking of that many guys who combine both ridiculous body control and hands at the catch point with elite run after the catch ability. You know, on some level, uh, one guy came to mind for me was sort of like a Des Bryant early in his career when Des was so good at the contested catches and so good in the end zone and on the sideline, yet when you gave Des a slant, he was able to make th some things happen. I think C.D. Lamb's actually more dynamic than Des Bryant is with the ball in his hands, but he is a truly unique receiver. I don't know that everything he does is always orthodox. You know, he's not quite the route runner that Jerry Judy is. It seems like more some of the stuff he does out there is just kind of freelancing it, but it absolutely works. He's an incredible football player. Let's go into the trenches here, a position that's near and dear to your heart, obviously, along the offensive line. Uh, one of the tackles that I feel like is, 
Okay, you know, at one point he was under the radar, and he's getting a little bit more buzz now, I feel, uh, is Josh Jones, the Houston left tackle. Uh, got to see him up close down at the Senior Bowl. Struggled early, bounced back, and then had a really strong rest of the week uh, after that Tuesday practice. So excited to get your thoughts on Josh Jones, the Houston left tackle. So I saw Houston play in person this year. I called their games for Westwood One Radio against both Oklahoma and Washington State. So I saw Josh twice, and what's interesting about him is they didn't have a lot of returning starters on the offensive line. He wasn't really that highly touted. You know, I watched him, Fran, but nobody said, hey, you got to look at this guy or this guy's a potential first-round pick. He kind of came out of nowhere. Um, But I can tell you what he is, and what he is is he's a really nice athlete. He's smooth. He's patient. He's got good feet, really like him as a pass protector. You try to spin back inside. He's all over it. He works up to the second level extremely well, just moves very well for a guy his size. He at times is a little bit raw, but he's had five different offensive line coaches. And I can speak to this from experience, having nine offensive line coaches during my time in the NFL, that it really makes it difficult for you to master any one skill set because usually offensive line coaches have a different, unique way that they want you to do it. So it's unfortunate if you're a guy that has a bunch of them like I did and like Josh Jones has had because it doesn't really allow you to master any one group of skills that a certain coach wants you to have. So I would imagine that there are some offensive line coaches that watch him and think, man, really nice feet, really smooth, second level pass pro. He's probably not a great point of attack run blocker. Part of that, you know, Dana Holgerson came in even before Dana Holgerson, they were throwing the ball over the place. So he might never be that, but that's not as important as it used to be. And I think there's some offensive line coaches that are going to think, man, if I get him for four or five years, I'm going to really be able to do things with him because he hasn't gotten great coaching or had any consistency in that area. It's a great point. He's a guy that I feel like, you know, we saw a couple senior ball offensive linemen last year kind of sneak into round one, right? We saw Chris Lindstrom go in the top 15 out of Boston College. We saw uh, Caleb McGarry go at the, at, towards the end. We saw Titus Howard go towards the end of round one. So it would not shock me if Josh Jones is a little bit higher than people are anticipating right now, especially because of how good this tackle class is at the top. I wonder if there's just going to be that run and a team towards the back end of round one says, man, if we need a tackle, if we want one, we got to take one. And I wonder if Josh Jones uh, could be that guy. So certainly an interesting name to watch. And then one, one last player I wanted to ask you about, just because I know you've got some pretty strong takes on him, is the uh, the Utah State quarterback, Jordan Love. We're going to talk a lot about the quarterback position today on the show. Uh, we'll talk about Tua and Herbert. Excited to get your thoughts on Love and just how you view him making that jump to the NFL. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll start, Fran, with the caveat that I won't pretend to be a quarterback guru. Okay? I will say this, though. I called the Wake Forest game after Utah State played them, and I called an Air Force game after Utah State played them. So I watched every snap of his from two games. First of all, the the guy really does have a truly unique arm and an ability to flick his wrist even when he's not set in the pocket and, and, and have it go a long way. That said, I mean, Fran, 
he threw three picks against Wake Forest and at least three other times threw the ball right to Wake Forest defenders who just dropped it. Justin Sternad, a linebacker I really like, dropped at least one. They had a corner who dropped. I mean, he threw it right. Easily could have been a five or six interception game. Then you get to Air Force. They scored seven points against Air Force. Now, now I know that Air Force. Is that the muck fest? Is that like that crazy like downpour game? Um, I don't think so. I mean, I have to go There's back. A game, yeah. That from from watching the tape. Um, I know Air Force does a nice job with time of possession and controlling the football, but still, um, you know, Air Force is not blessed with a lot of gifted athletes in the secondary. And so watching them only score seven points, you know, you combine those two things. I I just, um, I, I would be very leery of taking Jordan Love as high as some of these guys are now saying he's going to be the third quarterback off the board, going to go top 10. Wow. I mean, that's, you get a lot of confidence in a, his physical ability and b your ability to coach things out of him. If you take him in the top 10, that would be way, way too much risk for me. Uh, he, he's a guy I think it's going to be a very interesting case study just because of the uh, the cir- circumstances around him, all the turnover offensively, uh, not just from a personnel standpoint, but coaching staff-wise as well. They all went to Texas Tech, so he's you know completely surrounded by a bunch of new faces there this past year and certainly was pressing. I watched that Wake Forest game uh, on TV that night. It was opening week. Uh, definitely struggled in that game, so interested to see where he ultimately ends up in this draft. Well, Ross, excited to dig into this with you a little bit deeper, man, once we get to draft weekend. Uh, Congrats again on on, be, on re-signing here uh, with the Eagles as their color commentator for preseason broadcasts. We'll be sure to hear from you later this summer as well, but uh, we'll talk to you again soon here in a few weeks. Thanks again for joining us on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Now it's time for Draft Buzz. All right, great stuff there from Ross. And guys, as I welcome in Chris McPherson and Ben Fennell, uh, let's get into draft buzz and through the grapevine, some big news uh, coming through the through the NFL uh, late on Tuesday. C-Mac, uh, the compensatory picks have finally been announced woo, uh, by woo, the NFL. Woo. The Eagles get three extra picks, one in the third round, two in the fourth round. Uh, some, some big news there to close out Tuesday. The biggest thing is the Eagles have prepared all offseason as if they were going to have 10 selections, okay? They've gone through the formula. They predicted from past years. They figured that in 2019, they didn't go into the free agent market because they said they knew they were going to have some big-ticket players leave in Nick Foles, in Jordan Hicks, in Golden Tate, and they figured, you know what? We're going to get those draft picks back in 2020, and we're going to cash in because we need to remake the roster in a younger form. Harry Roseman has preached that. The Eagles now officially have their 10 selections. So the big thing now is what is Howie Roseman going to do to retool the roster? That's what's going to be so fun. I think we've all known that they were likely going to have 10 picks. Now that they have them, how are they going to be deployed come draft weekend? Yeah, it's exciting to have those picks. It's not like they're seventh or sixth round selections. No. I mean, an extra three and two extra fours, good ammo going into a draft that uh, it's pretty deep. I mean, you get a lot of those uh, mid-round selections. Ben, I know you and I were talking last week about, uh, you know, I'd love to have a bunch of picks, second round, third round, fourth round in this draft. It's a, it's a deep class overall. Ten picks, over, under, push. How many are the Eagles Ooh. making? 
That's a good question. I, I you know, it's always tough because you know that they're always going to be wheeling and dealing. They're going to move up. They're going to move down. Different points of the draft. They're always going to be, you know, trying to figure out different ways to to shape that roster. I'm going to go push. I'm going to go with an even ten. You're even ten. Yeah. I go under. I'm going to say like eight comes oh, to mind. All right. I think they're going to make some moves. So I was actually thinking the over. Yeah, and thinking I can see maybe the over. getting out and stockpiling a couple extra ones okay. on yeah. day two or day three. I'll explain so. a little bit later in the show. I'll, I'll kind of get into Ooh. why right. I think it could be the, the under. All right, interesting. All right, well, let's get to uh, some of the big news, the big news of the week. And uh, Tua Tonga Bailoa, this came out on Monday uh, from Steve Weiss from NFL Network, cleared his four month medical check last week and has begun some light drills. He's dropping back, he's throwing, he's doing some slight running. Uh, Tua's doctor said that the outlook can only be looked at as positive at this point, as it can be a four month mark, you know, but. He's got several weeks, if not longer, before he's able to do some real working out. So uh, obviously still a lot that needs to be done. Very conservative right now with the way that they're going to treat the rehab process. But look, this can, we're going to continue talking about this because it's going to be big news for the first round of this draft. And certainly uh, for if you're an Eagles fan, you want Tua's, you want all this medical stuff to come out as positively as possible to ensure that he goes in the top 20 picks. I feel like at this point, unless there's something disastrous, yeah. he's going hot. Yep. There, there's been nothing to this point that makes me feel that anything is going to change. You've seen every mock, and you know he's still hot on everyone's big board. And you know we're going to talk about Daniel Jeremiah's in a little bit because there's some injuries I think have kind of shaped uh, some changes there. So to me, all signs point to as long as the teams clear him medically, which is really the the most important hurdle. It's great. Tua's doctor can say what he wants. Yeah. Tua's doctor can say I'm gonna, he's going to no go question. walk on water tomorrow. But that's, what, but that's what gives me pause because every year we see this with guys like you know, like last year, like no one knew Jawan Taylor had that knee that was. And this is very much in the spotlight, but yeah. Jawan Taylor was in the top fifteen of every mock draft, top twenty of every mock very draft. True. He goes to the second round. Miles Jack a couple years ago, he was in the top five, top ten of every mock draft. He goes early second round. Uh, you know, the the kid, the Michigan defensive tackle, was two years ago that he was a first round pick for everybody. Maurice Hurst, yeah. Maurice Hurst. He ends up going in the fourth round. So the medical stuff can be. It's just a little bit hairy, a little bit prickly. I to me like. Still scares me a little bit that maybe he does not go in that top twenty. But two, I just want to know: is he preparing himself for the pro day, or is he preparing himself to be ready for rookie camp for a team? I think he said he's planning on doing a workout. I believe it was April fourth. It seems like the they're gearing up for pro for day. This is almost like a like a hurry up to wait type of right. thing. Let me hurry up to the pro day yep. to then kind of shut it down. And it's like, don't rush through this process. Yeah. I know you want to show off to the the scouts and prove your drafts, you know, stock. Yeah. There's still a really good chance he's not ready to play as a rookie in the NFL. Right. No question. And there's also a team that may say if there's any sort of issue or, you know, still kind of developing through the injury, shut it down and let's make sure you're a, you know, an asset for the future, which the, he obviously is. Yeah, and the thing that scares me too when we talk about the situation and when we're talking about how many quarterbacks could go in the top 20 of this draft, if you are the Chargers, the Dolphins, the Bucks, you know, depending on how free agency goes, all these quarter, you know, all these teams, you throw them into a bucket. And you have a choice between Tua, where you're like, I'm not really sure. And you, that's even taking apart the, the film evaluation part. We don't know how teams have felt through the interviews and the film. But you've got Tua, where you're not really sure, versus Justin Herbert, who's a high-floor guy. You've got Jordan Love, who's got that great high ceiling. Like, I don't know. Like, I, You might lean more towards those guys if you're not quite sure about if he's ever going to be able to come back from this injury. The thing for Tua is financially – there's a big difference between being possibly the second or third overall pick and being a mid to late first round pick. Yep. So that's probably for from his standpoint and his camp standpoint 
why he's going to want to get out there and prove that he's ready to go sooner than later. Because if everything else checks out, he should be a top five pick. Mm -hmm. This is the only, and it's a very significant hurdle, but it's really the only major one that it seems that he has to cross to, to this I point. I expect the medicals to get even deeper once a team actually claims him and owns him as well. Yeah. That owns him is a bad word, but uh, signs him because it's a very unique injury. It was a trauma injury. It was a yep. trauma surgery. Right. Yeah. This wasn't a typical sports injury done by a sports doctor, an ACL. You go to a team and they've seen a thousand ACLs to compare and to know the development, the progress. It's a little bit uncharted. It's yeah. a different type of injury. Modern medicine is crazy that the fact that he's up on his feet and preparing for yep. a pro day in a month. Um, but obviously, it's something a little bit uncharted in the sports in injury uh, sphere. Just as we're no looking question. at this, I'm almost looking at my watch now that it's March 11th. It's almost like if Tua slips, you should go back and clip the part that you said, that right. every year there is someone who falls that we don't see it coming. Yeah, every year it happens, and it's, you know, we, we just don't know. It, it goes back to that old axiom of it only takes one. Uh, it only takes one team to say, yep, we're good with it. Let's go. Let's pull the trigger. But we'll see. It, it's going to be very interesting, certainly, uh, to follow that. And speaking of Tua, uh, he was one of a handful of players that uh, Ben Solak, friend of the show for the Draft Network, uh, listed in an article over the weekend um, that titled, Biggest boomer bust prospects in the 2020 NFL draft. There were like four or five guys that uh, Ben highlighted in that piece. Another guy he hit on was Penn State wide receiver KJ Hamler. So I just kind of wanted to open up to us. Uh, let's kind of talk. This is a, a player that Eagles fans are, are really, really in tune with. Uh, they're you know certainly a target for a lot of Eagles fans. So uh, let's talk about KJ Hamler and why he's viewed as a boomer bust type of player. I would think that. The boom part is obviously the dynamic speed yeah. and playmaking ability. I don't Sean think there's Jackson. any question about that. Now, conversely, the size. And is he going to hold up at the next level? And is yep. he as refined as you bring up a Deshaun Jackson? Is he refined to that level that he'll be able to persevere at the next level? So speed is certainly going to open the door and get you drafted pretty darn high. How high in Hamler's case it remains to be seen. It would have been great if he worked out in Indianapolis to really kind of cement his stock the way some of the other players did. But I think that's probably what you're looking at, at least from my perspective, from the boomer bust profile. There's four 380-pound receivers in every draft. Right. We know he can run. Now we need to figure out if he can play receiver in the NFL kind of thing. And, you know, we don't remember the Clyde Gateses of the world, but we remember the Deshaun Jacksons and Taylor Gabriels and ones John that have, Brown, and yeah, have right. found roles in the NFL. But every year there's these types of profiles that have a little bit of issues with running NFL route trees, have a little bit of issues with making catches with NFL corners on their back. And some of the things we had issues with K.J. Hamler at Penn State and catching the underneath stuff on third down, the tight window stuff, the nuanced route running. He's not going to have the big open spaces you know, in the NFL uh, on a down-to-down -down basis. And that's kind of my concern. He's electric fast. He's every bit of a 4-3 player, in and out of breaks, the whole deal, taking the top off. But... Does he have an NFL acclimate to kind of win and win and, and move the chains? And see, I think he, I think he's got a lot of twitch coming out of routes. Like you see that, you see the explosiveness, you see that, you know, just that raw power coming out of a break. But uh, and I think that you know, does he need to clean th things up as a route runner? Sure. Drop issues to me. It's like some of the some of the gimmies he's got to be able to hit. But I do think he can make this spectacular catch. I think he can track the ball over his shoulder. I've seen him do it. Uh, I'd, I'd like to see a little bit more of it. He wasn't quite used to that extent. You know, that was the thing about Deshaun was, you know, coming out of Cal, I mean, he could track that deep ball like nobody's business. Mm -hmm. And then we talked about the baseball background and all that stuff. But uh, I think when you look at K.J. Hamler, 
tools are there. They, the size is, is a concern and the drops. You want to see, you know, kind of tighten those up. But uh, I'm excited about him moving on to the next He's level. like a three for 120 type of receiver in the NFL. He's more right. of a Taylor Gabriel than any sort of possession receiver. Yeah. But he has some routes that he's just so electric getting in and out of breaks. You think he could be a third down slot for you. I just don't think that's going to be his profile. I think he'll be more of what Calvin Ridley has turned into for the Falcons, which they're disappointed that they spend a first-round pick on a guy that's not making the tough catches for him on third down. He's really just a double-move, deep threat, down-the-field guy, which is okay. Sure. If that's what you do, you show up with three for 120 and a touchdown on Sunday, that's a good day right there. Sure. Uh, well, just trying to figure out what else can you do, and then where does that value put you in the draft? Sure. Well, let's get into the next segment here in our film room recap. And uh, Ben, there's a guy that I, you know what? Actually, let's we're, we're, let's keep talking receivers here. Uh, the guy that I'm going to bring up is going to be Denzel Mims, uh, a guy I know you've done again recently. Um, he's one of the darlings, I think, of draft Twitter uh, for what he's done in the pre-draft process. Was productive over the course of his career at Baylor. Uh, was a decorated high school player, great track athlete coming out of high school. Um, you know and and then when he goes to the senior bowl, had a good week in Mobile, had a great combine. He ran four three eight at you know what was it 215 pounds. He's over six foot three. He's got crazy length. Uh, checking a lot of boxes for Denzel Mims. I went back. I, I would. I'm gonna be honest. I would. It took me time. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, C Mac, about like how there are certain guys where it just it takes you a little bit of time before you like come all the way around. I don't know if I'm all the way around on on Mims. I was definitely lower than everybody else. You know, coming through the process, I watched all of his targets this morning from the 2019 season, and I think we, what you see with him, I think it's a lot. It's similar in a lot of ways to like uh, to DK Metcalf in that he's got that size. He's, he certainly ha- does have long speed. I don't know if he always plays to 4 3 8. I'll tell you where he stands out to me. Like his body control, his ball skills, his ability to make just ridiculous freak show catches along the sideline. That is where he stands out. Like going up and winning at the catch point, reeling in passes away from his frame. He, I, he, I don't think he had a drop on a throw that was outside of his framework. Like he was excellent on, on those kinds of throws. Keep him outside the numbers. Let him work downfield. You know, back shoulder fades. I think all that stuff. He's able to adjust the ball in the air. He's really, really impressive in that arena. I feel like there was a lot of guys that had great workouts in Indy. It's just such a deep receiver class. There yeah. wasn't like time to hit all the conversations. Right. He ran four three eight and jumped out the building and like a Joe Reed too at uh, Virginia. Virginia ran four 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 and you know jumped really well and looked good and it's like yep. I just got to his tape yesterday. Just such a deep receiver group. But Mims love his play personality, yep. the blocking, the catch point stuff, working the sideline. Occasionally had a boneheaded drop or two. Had a couple of those. But he also had some ridiculously you know impressive plays. Uh, you know at the catch point and contested catches and high points and fifty fifty balls and red zone and. Uh, the other issue was the route tree at Baylor, yep. which showed up to the Senior Bowl, had a little bit more press coverage, and seemed to have a lot of nuance and kind of uh, more of an NFL route tree. Him getting off press was a concern I had, you know, going through the film. Um, I'll tell you, but I tell you what, I thought through his senior year, he showed a little bit more. Uh, a little bit more nuance as a route runner, you know, a little bit more snap coming in and out of breaks uh, as the year went on. And I thought, you know, I'm still going through the Senior Bowl stuff, going back through it. He had a good week when we were down there. Seemed like watching him live. He was a guy that we that stood out to us when we watched him uh, down there. But uh, just going back and, and watching all the snaps, I, I, I was pretty impressed with what I saw uh, from Denzel Mims. He's he's gonna be a really fascinating player. I mean, it seems like he's getting a buzz now where. Second round potential late late round one. I mean, that's kind of where the buzz seems right now from a media standpoint on Denzel Mims. Well, if you look at DK Metcalf, the key is going to be for whatever team drafts him to know how to use him. Right. 
to play to his strengths. That's yeah. the biggest thing more than anything else. If you know what he can do on tape and see what he can do on tape, don't force him to be something that he's not. Yeah, he tracks the ball well over his shoulder. Like let work, let him work vertically. Uh, you know, he he can win on a slant. I don't like him in the middle of the field, like the shallow crosses, the deep digs, like where he's he feels like there's contact coming in traffic. I don't like him there as much. Let him work outside the numbers and, and you know go up and make those crazy catches. Uh, he's got the ability to do that at a very high level. Ben, uh, you looked at a player um, on yeah, the other side of the ball. Spin it to the corner. other side. Yeah, an- right. Another guy who showed out in Indy, just there wasn't enough room for the conversation. Another we- senior bowl guy too. Yeah, and you know you look at these numbers: a six-one corner, two hundred pounds, running four-four-four. Jumping 36 inches, 11 foot broad, 22 reps on the bench from a corner. I mean, this is checking every box from the measurables. And I don't think we called his name once in in Indy. And that's Reggie Robinson, the second out of Tulsa. Big corner. And when you're talking corners that are six foot, 200 pounds, running under a 4'5". Okay, what do we got here? And jumping at least uh, 10 and a half broad. Okay. There's three corners. Jeffrey Okuda, CJ Henderson, and Reggie Robinson. Wow. Big, fast. Physical, explosive. He is the day two version of Jeffrey Akuda, in my done, opinion. Have you done like uh, historically the guys that have I have that? not yet. Um, I know you're big in the. But obviously, you know the the Trayvon Diggs of the world in sure, this class, yeah. and then you know just converting it to you know is he a, a Jimmy Smith type of corner, that type of size, yep. speed combination. Um, but he checks all the boxes. It reminds me a lot of James Bradbury. Okay, coming out of what was it Sanford? He was Sanford, yeah. Uh, carved out a nice role at the Carolina Panthers, looking for a big payday in free agency right now. Big corner, can play press. Really more of a zone corner, though. He uses his physicality, uh, good ball skills, big frame, the whole deal. The only thing is he's just a little bit grabby at times. He had eight penalties this past year, Reggie Robinson. But tons of ball production, 34 PBUs, four picks, four block kicks, which you love to see on special teams. Sure. 2,500 snaps, 41 games played, tons of experience on the field. The special teams value. Watch him this past year against Tylen Wallace, yep. Oklahoma State. Pretty much locked him up. Gabriel Davis, UCF. Right. Uh, James Prochet at uh, SMU. SMU. Great battles against NFL caliber receivers. And I thought he showed up every week. I've written down Aqib Tlaib, Michael Jackson from Miami last year. Yep, right. Big physical corner that, like ran, that ran well. Yeah. Um, but he's a guy that just caught in the wash of kind of a deep group at corner. But he checks all the boxes. And I just think on a, a different year. We may be talking about him as kind of a okay, round two, round yeah, one right. type of corner with that size and that speed. I mean, this is exactly what NFL's NFL DCs want on on the outside for him. Here's a guy I, I didn't I have I still haven't done Robinson yet, and I'm hoping to get to him. You know, I'm going to get to him before the draft. But I'm hoping to get to him relatively soon. Seabeck, uh, do you remember anything from seeing him live down in Mobile? I th- I feel like there were plays that he made, but I. Nothing's it seems like so far so far gone now. Uh, he's a guy I know there's been a lot of buzz about, and I'm excited to kind of dig into his film, uh, certainly before uh, I just love weekend. when it's highlight plays you put on. Press coverage, off coverage, right. a bail coverage, a cover two, a cover three. So scheme versus L- literal, li- like just a little bit of variety in everything. You could see yep. that flash that you like can kind of fit in any sort of scheme for you. I like that. Very much the way James Bradbury has kind of carved out in Carolina, which was more of a zone team the past couple sure, years, right. but a big corner that can survive in man, yep. good run defender, force player as well. Just a guy I think you don't have to take off the field. He's a big physical corner you just want. Look at the way Stefan Gilmore has carved out a right. defensive player of the year role for the Patriots. Yeah, it's that type of corner. Very interesting profile comparison to Bradbury. 
Big big kid, small school yep. corner, went to the senior bowl, made a name for himself, turned into a mid-round pick, and obviously a, a future NFL starter. He's looking to cash in about $15 million a year yeah. here. No, in no, no yeah. question. Um, all right, let's get to uh, our next segment here, big, our, our uh, big board breakdown. We're going to go Daniel Jeremiah, released his uh, most updated top 50 uh, list for NFL.com on Monday. Uh, C-Mac, what, what was your big takeaway from the top 50? Uh, eight receivers in the top 50. Whew. You know, we're talking about this deep wide receiver class. You talked just about Mims a moment ago. He cracked the top 50 for the first time. And again, he's done everything right in the pre-draft process uh, with the Senior Bowl week, the great combine workout. Uh, one note, Brandon Ayuk, player who we wanted to see at the Senior Bowl, yep. you know, didn't do much in, in Indy. Uh, dropped seven spots, number 27. So interesting. it's interesting whether that's injury, whether it's going back to watch the tape, you know, those are some of the things that are very intriguing. Uh, another player, this might be more injury-related, LaVisca Chenault goes down 12 spots yep. to 36, but still overall, just a very, very deep wide receiver group. Yeah. The narrative, like he didn't look good in Indy, Chenault? I mean, he didn't. Uh, he ran the forty, and that was that. that was that. And he right. didn't do anything else after that. So, right. and then he thought um, he was having core muscle surgery. Yeah, and then he's and then he's having the surgery. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a little bit of a rough uh, pre-draft. It's process. Not like his narrative is dropping. It's just almost like other guys have kind of jumped on. I was just going to yeah. say, like, he's we, if other here. guys are going up, yeah. then somebody's well. got to go down on these lists. Like, <laughs> and that's purely the conversation meter type right. of thing. You know, his tape is his tape. He, right, the season's over. Absolutely. Uh, no, that's a good point there. Um, you had a couple other uh, big risers there from the front seven, C-Mac. Let's see, going here, linebacker position. Kenneth Murray, who I know you're a big fan of, Fran. Uh, looked the part in Indy. Unfortunately, didn't get to do the full workout because he pulled up with an injury. And he's but not participating in Oklahoma's pro, pro day not this week. Pro day, so yep. goes up seven spots to number 22 overall. And here's a, you know, saw him at the Senior Bowl, Zach Bonna, Wisconsin. One of the big risers going up nine spots, number thirty-eight. I think Bond's a good player. I gotta watch his tape again later. I don't yeah, know. he was one of your. He's a guy that you feel like you're a little bit lower on. Every, I just, I'm, I don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Same with Josh Uchi. Like right. I don't know. Everyone's like, oh, you could play him off ball. Like I guess maybe. Like right. I'll watch a Senior Bowl practice and tape and yep. make an assessment. But I'm not into this catch-all will linebacker for undersized edges. So we had a you conversation know, like, before we jumped on here uh, about both of our processes at this time of the year where it's like, you know, you dive into more, like, who are the guys I haven't studied yet? You dive into... You're, this is my favorite version of Ben of, like, <laughs> all right, I'm watching guys from Kennesaw State and from, like, West Georgia. Well, the draft is such a crowded like, space this time of year. I'm just trying to find a way to, like, differentiate myself. Everybody's talking about, you know, the first-round picks right. and stuff. Not everybody has that, you know, uh, Wingate tape right. or the Canadian <laughs> tape or whatever. Well, so, like, you'll go through guys that you haven't studied yet. I'm going back through some guys and making like second and third passes through just to fine tune my uh, my thoughts on some players. And we were just talking about like, all right, well, what's the the thought behind doing uh, doing both of those? Uh, you'll you'll be doing the the Zach Bonds and the Antoine Winfields and those guys in a couple of weeks, and I'll I'll be getting to Reggie Robinson right. and some of these other guys <laughs> in a couple of weeks. We just kind of uh, reverse roles there. Um, ben, what's uh, your takeaways? Yeah, there from two DJ? big notes on DJs. Nice to see Jeremy Chin yeah. uh, make his way into the top fifty. Actually, has him listed as a linebacker. If I saw that correctly, really, I have to go back, I I have to go back and look at yeah. that one. Yeah, I think he was squeezed in at 48 there. And then on the continuing his meteoric rise is your tour Gross Matos, yeah. Yeah. who was unranked, then 38th, and now he's up to I think 31 or 32. So we're talking at least a 20 spot jump in the last week or so. Um, a guy that's got a lot of tools, a lot of versatility. Uh, and speaking of sleepers, really quick, Will's, Will Sunderland. Troy, okay. Oklahoma transfer. I've four, four, here. six at his pro day. 
four-star, long ball skills, disruptive press experience, Will Sunderland. I'm what telling you. What position is he? Corner. He's a corner. Yeah, but might squeeze into a day three player. All right. This is just a random, just random throw. I might as well throw in some of these <laughs> yeah. after I've been watching them, you know. All right, I like it. Well, my, my big takeaway was the the quarterback discussion. Um, you know, I think when you look at, uh, you know, DJ's always been a, a big proponent of Jordan Love over Justin Herbert. Uh, he did switch them, and he on the most yeah. recent Move the Sticks podcast, uh, he kind of dove into that a little bit. I listened to it on my drive into work this morning, actually, um, and he talked about really, look, the, the decision-making with Jordan Love, not just on the turnovers, but so on some other throws where that could have been turnover-worthy throws. Uh, you know, the, he just kind of questions the decision making. Um, that's something that travels with you to the NFL. You know, creating those turnovers. Uh, we've seen that obviously with Jameis Winston, uh, where with Justin Herbert, he just kind of sees them as a, as a high floor player. We talked about floors and ceilings last week. Uh, Herbert higher floor. He'll still maintain. Love's got that higher ceiling, but uh, Justin Herbert now up to number twenty on his board. Love to twenty-three. So ultimately, we're splitting hairs. He's still has those guys neck and neck on the board, but interesting that he bumped uh, Herbert up above Love. I'm worried about Herbert. I think he's such an arm talent, and his wow plays almost like make you a little bit drunk on his normal down-to-down mm. evaluation. Really? He doesn't see the field particularly well. He's late on reads, late on progressions, doesn't pull the trigger on a lot of stuff, That's doesn't stuff show anticipation. Yep. He's big, he's strong, and put it over the, over the moon. But if he doesn't have the quick twitch processing, decision-making, that's what NFL throws are about. That's what being a quarterback's about is, you know, the, the mental processing, you know, the ability to get the ball out, the decision-making. You know, I'd rather watch Joe Burrow get the ball out on third and three to his hot receiver taking it a shot than watching Justin Herbert throw a dig, you know, 17 yards on a rope. But see, like that's what when I look at Herbert, like how many NFL? Me, we always talk about NFL throws. How many NFL throws you have to make on every Sunday? Like a, an impressive arm talent throw. Yeah. We're how many times like, do we even see a twenty-one to eighteen yeah, comeback right. on yeah. a, in the NFL anymore? Sure. But Those throws are gone. It's like to me though, when I look at Herbert, I, I look at that offense. We've talked about this in the show a couple of times because you've seen them live. You know, we've watched them. We've both watched them on tape. Like, I just didn't feel like he was a fit for what they were trying to do offensively. No. Like, I, I'd want him in a. You know, and the problem is, is, I don't know that there are many teams that run this style of offense that are looking for a quarterback in round one, but that Shanahan style of mold of I want him on the move, move the pocket, play action, well-defined stuff, like make it easy for him, let him use that arm, let him use his legs, like that's where I want things to be well-defined for Justin Herbert, and then let him run. It's not let him sexy, play. but I've written down Matt Schaub. Right. Like I think about him with Kubiak in Houston, yeah, where he threw I mean. for four thousand right. yards and back-to-back comes back years. Kubiak the Mike Shanahan scheme, yeah. Like, but it's hard to even find. You know, plays of Herbert turning his back to the defense on like a stretch, no, but that's right. the type of system you want him in. That's what I want. Yeah. We've seen Joe Flacco play for 10 years and win a Super Bowl. I think Herbert can do that right. in the right scheme, Yeah, but don't throw him the keys and say, let's let's go with the air raid and, and throw this thing around the yard. Yeah, I think that, that that scheme didn't necessarily do him favors in terms of what... It's kind of... They're different players. I'm not making. I'm not comparing this guy to this guy. But Just wonder, is he closer to It's like Hackenberg a, at Penn State. When yeah. Hackenberg was at Penn State, like what he was, Hackenberg wasn't like a oh, drop back catch and shoot to throw a bubble screen. That's that wasn't Christian Hackenberg. That didn't do him any favors. To get Herbert's full value, are they going to have to run like QB power and stuff like they do with Josh Allen? Like to get get the advantage of his yeah. size and legs yeah, and like I think so. If you look if you look at what he was what he's done in Buffalo the last couple of years, like why wouldn't you try and do some of that stuff with Herbert? Right. It's, it's, if you are a little bit lacking as a passer, whether it is your anticipation, accuracy, whatever it is, touch, yeah, do you make up for it with being six six and two forty and 
and run with, with like a deer. movement. Yeah, yeah, no question. I, I think you, I think you absolutely do. Yeah. Um, no, it's uh, it's gonna be an interesting discussion. And the, the landing spots with these with all these guys, we'll be talking about that after the draft. Will be really really big. All right, let's get to our mock draft roundup here. Uh, Josh Norris from Roto World NBC Sports. This is a mock draft from last week, but. It was so divisive that I had to squeeze it into the hmm. show this week. Uh, takeaways here. He's got uh, the Eagles selecting at number 21, uh, Jalen Rager, the wide receiver from TCU. Before we get into the rest of this mock here, uh, thoughts on Jalen Rager at uh, 21? Exciting player. Uh, yeah. He's kind of mixed in with a lot of these gadget players in the draft. I think there's values at all different days for these speedy receivers, whether it's Henry Ruggs, Jalen Rieger, or you know you go to a Devin DuVernay type of slot presence and, yep. and track star or Chenault type of player. I was talking about Joe Reed a minute ago from Virginia, similar type of profile. Uh, Antonio Gibson, so um, exciting player at TCU. I don't think he was used properly at TCU. A lot of outside the numbers stuff for being a small, speedy guy. I would like to see a little bit more slot or you know gadget or just give him the ball, just make offense easier, especially yep. with a true freshman quarterback. But fun player, and I think that's the type of presence uh, the Eagles offense could use. Yeah, quarterback play, I think it was probably an issue. Probably yep. hurt his production, issue. Yep. certainly. But you know, we'll get after it in the red zone. We'll attack the football. So has a dynamic speed. You know, didn't quite show maybe as much as Indy. You know, his testing right. wasn't yep. as great. Maybe some of the other receivers. Uh, I was watching Jordan Brooks the other day and came across a TCU game. Tech linebacker, yeah. Oh, man, this freshman quarterback at TCU would just throw it to he's the flat late I know. and get these receivers and backs lit up bad. in the flat. Yeah, really he took some huge shots, uh, Jalen Rieger. To me, like it's almost like the Miles Sanders pick uh, last year in the second round where I would be really excited about Jalen Rieger in round one because that means that Doug Peterson, that offensive staff, are juiced about Jalen Rieger. And I, knowing what kind of talent he is, man, like, because there, there would be people, I guarantee you, like, if Jalen Rieger was the pick of 21, there would be plenty of analysts to be like, oh, that's a reach. You know, why is he going so early? Like, no, like, if, if they're sold on Jalen Rieger at 21, like, that gets me excited because now it's like, oh, they they have a vision for how they would use him. So that that would make me uh, very, very excited. He's super for Jalen competitive, Rager. too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he's a great kid. Yeah. I shouldn't say that. I spoke. I spoke with him for like five minutes at the combine. Came off really, really well. He's good in the red zone yeah. for his size. He'll mm-hmm. go up and go get it. He caught a yeah. hail mary. I think as a freshman yep. against SMU at the sure. end of the first half. Yep. Uh, obviously, he's got player. the lineage. His dad in the NFL as well. Of course. Uh, teams always love. I that. have some disagreements though with the first couple picks though. Well, let's get. I mean, let's get into that. The, but right before the Eagles, interesting to see Marlon Davidson go. Yep. To 20 to Jacksonville. I did not see Dallas taking a corner. He's got Trayvon Diggs. Yep. I thought they they're pounding the table for an interior tackle or a safety. Yep. Uh, I kind of thought they were set at corner with uh, Wuzier, and obviously Byron Jones yeah. is well, up Byron in the air Jones right now. The air, but, um, but they've drafted. I mean, they have Jordan Lewis. They've Jordan got, Lewis they've got a number a, of Jordan corners. Lewis is a great player. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they've got a number of guys that they, they've got at the corner spot. They've been in need of some sort of three tech for a number of years. Yep. A safety presence, you know, outside of. J.J. Wilcox and Jeff Heath and that yep. era, that era. I think that Dallas is an is an interesting team to watch because they are they consistently draft for need, like yeah. almost all, especially in the top three rounds, they draft for need. So uh, depending on how the free agency goes for them. You can kind of pigeonhole, like, all right, here are three or four guys that like you can kind of earhole for who they're going to take there in round one at, uh, at 17 overall. The other four picks that uh, Josh had going, Atlanta at 16 taking Caleb on Chasen. seems like he's just getting a lot of – he's consistently in the top 20 of mock drafts, it seems, the, the pass rusher the from LSU to Atlanta yep. too, which is, is interesting to me, and my takeaway was that, like – you know, usually um, you, know, you hear the the analogy of like, all right, if a, if a player busts for for a team, that it's like a, you get scorned by an ex girlfriend. You're gonna go for you know you you used to date the blonde. Now you're gonna go find the brunette. For if they just they had the bust with Vic Beasley, 
Are you going to go back to another undersized athletic pass rusher in a Caleb on Chase as opposed to a guy who's big power leverage player like an A.J. Epinesa? Like, I think that's kind of an interesting fit there. He fits the style of what Atlanta typically has wanted, but would they go back to that style of player after they just fabled? They have a lot of needs, too. I mean, they have Grady Jarrett. They have Tack McKinley. I mean, their D-line might still be one of their better position groups. Do you you keep bolstering that? I mean, we see teams like San Fran go back to that well, and obviously show me four guys that can rush the passer. I'll show you four guys that can cover that old kind of adage. So um, they can go a lot of different directions. Well, you've got Dallas going uh, Trevon Diggs, as you mentioned, Ben. Uh, Miami taking Jordan Love at 18. CeeDee Lamb falling to the Las Vegas Raiders at 19. Marlon Davidson going number 20 to Jacksonville. C-Mac, what was uh, your takeaway from so, that So going back to our early discussion about the over-under on Eagles draft picks. Okay. Okay, the pick actually before Atlanta was Henry Ruggs goes to the Denver Broncos at 15, and all the mocks seem to it have seems to be a popular floor. Drew for, Locke yeah. getting a you know top tier wide receiver target to grow with. If the Eagles have all this extra ammunition, and they say you know obviously again we talked about the eight receivers in the top 50 of the big board, but if they feel that one is the cream of the crop and is sliding into those early teens, and you know that Denver is that spot where like that will probably end. You wonder if the Eagles might package some of those picks to move up. And the trade that I looked up earlier was uh, the Steelers last year going up to get Devin Bush using a first, a second, and a third to go from 20 to 10. It's a lot of picks. It's a lot, but if you believe that this guy is the guy, okay, that's the thing is everyone might say, well, it's, it's a deep class of receiver, just wait and get a receiver. But they're individual people, they're individual talents. Yeah. You know, you have a specific scheme and offense that you're trying to execute. If you say this guy is the best fit, we need to have him at all costs, you've got this extra ammo to possibly make a move. That's why I wonder if there's the chance that when we talk about the Eagles having 10 picks, all right, do they maybe have maybe a little bit fewer just because maybe there's a guy that they target to say, and I'm not just saying receiver, could be somewhere else in a draft, could be another position even in the first round. But maybe there's a spot that they say, we've got this ammo, let's go get our guy. Well, that's why also I feel that the quarterback discussion, that's why I keep in, you know, there might be Eagles fans out there that say, why do we keep talking about Herbert and Tua and Love? If those quarterbacks are still on the board in the early teens, let's say that, you know, we talked about DJ's mock draft, he had Herbert falling to 23, and in this mock, Jordan Love is still available. Like, if Jordan Love is still on the board at 18, Trading up to above 15 is going to be very difficult because the price is going to be higher with those quarterbacks on the board. Regardless of who those teams are talking to, the price is going to be an extra one. You're going back to what Kansas City had to give up for Mahomes, what mm-hmm. Houston had to give up for Deshaun Watson. Like That's the price that teams will be saying, like, okay, you want to come up with all these quarterbacks on the board? That's the going rate right now. Um, so I think that the quarterback, if you're an Eagles fan, again, you're hoping like, Chargers, Panthers, Dolphins at five overall, like all those to the Bucks early on. Like you need the quarterbacks to go very early, especially if you want to if you want the Eagles to make a move to get up, because that will then lower that trading, that asking price. In my mind anyway, I would imagine that the asking price to move up will be a little bit lower once all those quarterbacks are off the board. Um, the five after Philadelphia, Buffalo twenty-two, taking AJ Epinesa. I mentioned him earlier. Jerry Judy going number twenty-three to New England. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second. New Orleans uh, taking Jeff Gladney, the TCU corner at 24. Minnesota taking Utah corner Jalen Johnson at 25. We haven't talked much about Jalen Johnson. And then Austin Jackson, the left tackle from USC, going number 26. I'll tell you what. uh, Lamb Lamb before Judy love. uh, Lamb before Judy, but then Judy falling, not only falling that far. Past Rager. But then Rager, yeah. (laughs) 
Finally getting that weapon dude, like, for Brady. What would, huh? what, what would Philadelphia do? Like, what would fans do if, like, I mean, there would just be so much. There would be so much conversation about. I mean, we've seen how it do before. you pass on Judy? How do you pass on Judy? Um, yeah, but Judy falling out is a spite. That's why I love Josh. Josh is not afraid to put, uh, you know, something spicy like that uh, into his mock drafts and kind of put it out there. I thought that was very something's going to happen. I mean, we need. This every year. Is there we something need. other, some other quality that's more redeeming that's leaping these guys above Jerry Judy? Like C.D. Lamb and Jalen Rieger above Jerry Judy. What, what is the redeeming quality? What are the knocks quality? on Judy? What are the knocks on Judy? The knocks on Judy are his size and build. You know, he's a he's sub one ninety. He's a little bit of a, a, a more frailer frame. Yeah. frame. And every once in a while, he's got, he's got some bad drops. <laughs> that might be I it, right? Hope you're watching the YouTube. That might be it. So like Joe, Joe Marino like, put out a big board earlier. Yeah. C.D. Lamb above Judy. Right. I know. Yeah. That's that's a prevailing. I like Judy. I think of the group over everybody else, but I don't know. It's, Let Judy be like the fourth receiver off the right, board yeah. and give this guy a chip <laughs> yeah. on his shoulder in right, the NFL. Like, yes, exactly. No, no question. Kenneth Murray in round one. No Kenneth Murray in round one. He seems to be a, a kind of a darling mm. to go to go early uh, in most mock drafts. That's a good one. Um, C Mac, I know you had a, you had a point well, that you want to hit on we, as well. We talked about the receivers. Yeah. And there's five that go in the first round. I think Denzel Mims does make it into Norris's mock here toward the end. Six corners, more corners end up going. We, yeah. We're not talking enough about the depth at corner in this class. You mentioned Jalen Johnson. That's not a name you're seeing in too many mock drafts. But for all this, how many receivers are going to go off the board, more corners are going off right. the board. So that's why when I brought up the point about moving up for a guy, it may not just be a wide receiver. It could be a position like corner, depending on how, for the Eagles, maybe how free agency It's going to be a big out. corner gap in the draft, I'm calling it now. It's like five or six in the first round. You may not see like any in round two. Interesting. And then, and then again on day three, there'll be a, a bunch. I'm putting a, I mean, there's kind of just like a weird disconnect of right. like top-end guys and then some intriguing kind of talent and developmental mm-hmm. guys. We'll wrap it up. I think that receiver, we typically have seen, outside of that Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross here, Receivers, I feel like, go a little bit later than people think, for the most part, when it's all said and done. Go a little happened with Calvin Ridley. It happened with, with a number of guys over the last few years where they go just a little bit later than uh, they were in mock drafts. But uh, good, good conversations there, guys. Let's go, let's go into our next segment here. It's time now for Pick 6. Now it's time for Pick 6. All right, guys, so for pick six this week, I wanted to do six NFL comparisons, six player comparisons that we all love. Like, you know, the player comparisons can be tough sometimes. It's not always easy to kind of project, you know, this a college player to an NFL player. But let's pick six that we all feel really, really good about. Uh, ben, I'll let you uh, kick us off here for this one. Ooh. Well, there's been a bunch we've thrown out, you know, over the last calendar year that yeah. I think we've both kind of darlinged about. The C.J. Henderson, the Dominique Rodgers-Camardi. Yep, you love that We one. both felt pretty good about that. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I finished him up yesterday. You, you, this, this was the one I think is yours. I yeah. just think, I, we said Brian Westbrook earlier in the season we were watching together. A lot of people have given the Mark Ingram profile. I just think he's much shiftier, much quicker-footed, much more of an upside in the pass game, much well, like a Brian Westbrook coming yep. out of Villanova, what he did with Andy Reid. If he gets into a West Coast system or somebody that really takes advantage of these scat backs on third down, yep. man, look out for a Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But Brian Westbrook, and I was just saying before, Joe Reed, Virginia, reminds me a lot of Randall Cobb. Yep. That type of role, kick returner, wildcat stuff, slot receiver, vertical threat, yards after catch. Um, those are a couple that I really like. I like that one. C-Mac, what do you got for us? So I'm going to go with the star name to first, the big name guy. And I look at Tristan Wirfs. I was intrigued by some of the top offensive tackles out there. How about Trent Williams? Okay. Okay, the 
currently with Washington, but is on the trade market. When you look at the size and weight, almost identical. Trent Williams put up quite an athletic workout when he tested yep. at the combine. Yeah, okay, sure. not quite, not quite as good as worse, but pretty comparable. Yep. You, you know, if you could find someone of that size, and you know, I just think about how Tristan Wor- or how Trent Williams has been given the Eagles, you know, fits over the years, and Great I player. think. And I just think about, you know, with the Giants at that number four pick, if they're looking to go offensive line, I'm like, could Tristan Wirfs be a guy who gives the Eagles issues now for the next decade? Wirfs just reminded me, of, my comp for him was actually a previous Redskins tackle in Chris Samuels. Oh, yeah. Ten-year yeah. vet, oh, obviously yeah. a really good player coming out of Alabama there. Just a bit of a throwback kind of style on the field, almost like the way Whitworth plays. Right, yep. Really athletic, does some freaky athletic things, but his play profile is just a little bit more of a mauler throwback. Sure. But obviously tested through the roof and looked really athletic and has some uh, God-given abilities. So I'm going to go with one at the wide receiver position that, you know, I remember you and I talked about this in the summer, and I was kind of hashing through. I had just got done watching CD Lamb for the first time. This was like May, June. I think it was right when I got back from uh, from uh, paternity leave. Okay, so I get back, I watch CD Lamb, and I'm like, man, like I'm texting back and forth with Ben. I'm like, hey, this is this is how I feel. Good stuff. I, you know, the, the, went through all the positives. At first, I like thought I, he kind of reminds me of, like an Odell Beckham, but he's not as twitchy. He's not as explosive. Like he's not that kind. And I keep talking through, and I was like, you know what? He kind of reminds me of DeAndre Hopkins. And I the more and it's starting to gain a little bit more steam now. But I think when you look at CD Lamb. What is it about him that what makes CD Lamb so great? His ball skills, his hands, his t- his competitiveness and his toughness. Mm-hmm. DeAndre Hopkins is not he's gotten better. He was not the sharpest route runner coming out of Clemson. He was not a 4-4-3 4-4 guy, 4-3 guy coming out of Clemson. He was not a guy that uh, you're going to say man like look at just how much of a technician he is off the line of scrimmage and press. He wasn't that, he's not the biggest guy. He wasn't 6-3, 6-4, but He's like 6'1". He'll go up and fight with anybody at the catch point. And yeah, like tough after the catch, but not dynamic. That's that's kind of how I view C.D. Lamb. And if he's DeAndre Hopkins. Every team would take DeAndre Hopkins. But uh, I think to me, like that's the comparison that I've kind of latched myself onto. I like the C.D. Lamb to Nuke Hopkins. Yeah, I like that a lot. Three quick points. He had a one-handed catch, I think, against UCLA last year right, along yep. the sideline yeah, that yeah, yeah. started the Nuke Hopkins kind of train because yep, it, okay. it looked exactly like the way Hopkins works the sideline, one-handed yep. catches. The... Uh, the one thing I see similarities is their release packages. Mm. Dynamic, dynamic releases coming off the line of scrimmage, but not the best route runners. Right. The one thing I think that separates them, C.D. Lamb, yards after catch, the returner profile. Yep. Exceptional, exceptional. He can get himself out of a phone booth like Houdini, something that DeAndre Hopkins really didn't do well at Clemson or uh, with the Texans, really. More of a catch point, down-the-field guy. Did have that one slip-screen touchdown against the Seahawks, uh, I think, two years ago. But other than that, really not a yak guy like C.D. Lamb is. I don't know if Lamb... You know, obviously, if, if Lamb had been in the SEC, would those yak numbers have looked the same? Like, you know, the Big 12 defense, eh, a little extra space well, out there. A little, little more space yeah. to work with. Some of those plays against Texas, though, there's like five sure. guys around him. Yeah, like, he gets out of a phone booth like yeah. crazy. I agree with you. Um, C-Mac, what's your, uh, your second My one? other one, I wanted to go not like a top-tier first-round guy, sure. so a little off, slightly off the beaten path. But this is a guy we saw at the Senior Bowl, and this is a guy who... We're trying to figure out where does he project to the next level, and that's Antonio Gibson out oh, of okay. Memphis, Okay. This is, I'll give a hat tip to Mike Renner, Bachelor of Fame, Pro Football Focus, tremendous finale last night, by the way, for those who, who watched. Okay, I know you guys didn't, but it's fine. It's true. He threw out Ty Montgomery of the Green Bay Packers mm. from 
a role standpoint of trying to figure out, because what has Ty Montgomery been at the NFL? He's been a mix of running backs, been a mix of wide receiver. Antonio Gibson, that's what I think teams are going to have to figure out. And I think he's a fun player to utilize to be able to figure that out with. But when you're trying to figure out how does he project, that's sort of the initial uh, thought process. I I, thought that was very interesting. I think McCarthy got caught with too many versatile players because you had Randall Cobb that took over the wildcat option back stuff, the slot receiver. And then you had Ty Montgomery. You didn't really know what he was coming out of Stanford. Slot receiver, did some wildcat stuff did some returning abilities, but you already had Cobb there. So Montgomery tried to find his way as a receiver, then ended up just being a pure running back uh, later in his career. And I think now looking at the Debo Samuels and the way Christian McCaffrey's really excelled out of the backfield, you can't put these guys into molds, and you really have to be able to just ebb and flow to their abilities. And I think a guy like Antonio Gibson... I don't even know what a, what he is. Is he a slot? Is he a receiver? Is he a running back? I'm calling him a receiver. He played in the slot about 79% this past year, right, yep. 12% in the backfield. So for now, he's a receiver. But a lot of ability there. And like I have written down, Antonio Gibson slash Joe Reed. There's tons yep. of these types of mm-hmm. players uh, in this draft. And I think Debo's ability with the 49ers is you know, put a light bulb on to a lot of offense coordinators. No question. I, my last one uh, is a guy that I love. I think uh, most people have day two. I love this player. And that's Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle uh, from Missouri. I see a guy at 6'4". He was listed 325. He came in a little bit lighter at the, at the combine. I think he was like 306, 310, like somewhere in that range. Um, he can win with power. He can win with quickness. He can win with technique. He can win with motor. He like really, really impressive physical talent. He reminds me of Akeem Hicks. Like Akeem Hicks, and Akeem Hicks was not Akeem Hicks coming out because he came. He went to Laval up in Canada. He was at the Shrine Bowl. Took some time to develop. You know, he started in New Orleans, then went up to New England, and then now he's in Chicago and is one of the best defensive Might tackles in the country. Regina is where he was. Yes, yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah. That's that's correct. I know he was up up there in Canada somewhere, uh, but. You look at uh, Akeem Hicks to Jordan Elliott, I think Elliott has that same kind of upside. He can win in multiple ways. Love his power. I love his quickness. Violent with his hands. And this guy, when he gets to the quarterback, like he he gets there with bad intentions. You talk to him in Indy? A little bit. A little yeah. bit more of a soft-spoken guy. Okay. Uh, you know, he's a, he, he, I wanted, I'd like to be able to talk, spend more time with him. We can't, yeah. unfortunately, I don't know anything about him. I don't think yeah. I've heard an interview. Yeah, a little but I know, bit. obviously, the Texas transfer and highly Texas tattered transfer. Um, no, he, I, I'm excited to kind of dig more into Jordan Elliott, but, man, like his film is really, really impressive. I've written down, I think I wrote down Sheldon Richardson and Marcel Darius. Okay. So guys, a little bit more fleeter foot than, a, than Akeem Hicks, but yeah. that type of player profile. Really quick, a couple other ones I love. Kenneth Murray to Keith Bullock, Justin one, yeah. Jefferson, Keenan Allen, Xavier McKinney to our own Malcolm Jenkins. Uh, I think he's going to be playing in a league for, so many, for 12 You guys years. did a great job of throwing a bunch of these throughout the fall and even you know in the build-up to the draft. That it was almost like, all right, which I know Ben's gone on this one a number of times. I know Fran's gone this one a couple times. I'm big on it just to kind of give you a a snapshot of their ability, their skill set, their potential role, not predicting a career, not predicting anything that these guys have done, but what could it look like if it all goes well type of thing, Mm -hmm. and just trying to paint that picture for fans, and um, it's always fun going back through our our role decks of uh, players. No question. Well, it's a uh, a fun conversation. I actually dove into a little bit with Josh Norris and Dane Brugger this week on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast, fueled by Gatorade, so make sure you go check that out. Uh, Really fun conversation with those two guys over there on that show this week. All right, let's wrap the show up. It's time now for Draft Mailbag. Now it's time to hear from you, the fans in the draft mailbag. 
All right, so as always, the best way to support the show is to go on to Apple Podcasts or, Tw- or Stitcher, wherever you listen. Leave us a rating. Leave us a comment. And I want to give a shout-out to a couple people uh, that did just that. The Biggest Cat left a four-star review saying how much they enjoy the insight on players all around the country. We appreciate that, The Biggest Cat. Sorry it was not a five-star review, but we'll, we'll, we'll forgive you on that one. My fault for uh, that. PTG Productions left a five-star review saying, awesome podcast, gives you prospect info all year long. It's great to listen to them to follow along these kids that they've been talking about all year. Really appreciate that, PTG. And then a good question here with a mock draft from the Scouts Doubt. Five-star review. Hi, guys. Another mock draft, but this time with a trade-up. We give up our second-round pick and swap first with the Colts. So here's the mock draft. First-round pick, the trade-up with the Colts for wide receiver Jerry Judy. So we just talked about this earlier. Uh, Judy falling a little bit into the into the mid-teens. Uh, is well, he a guy in Norris's scenario, he'd fall to us. We won't have us. to move anywhere. We have so. to move anywhere. Uh, I would say 99% of mock drafts do not have that happening. But uh, <laughs> yeah. no, it was Jerry Judy falling into the mid-teens and moving up there. I think fans would be, would be pretty uh, pretty juiced about it. Jerry I'll Judy. I'll take a Jerry Judy in, yeah. in Philadelphia. Yeah. yeah, I think fans would be happy with that, that one. No question. What number would he wear? Ooh, what number would he wear? That's a good question. Uh, all right, so no second-round picks. So you go to the third round. Jeremy Chin in the third round. He might go earlier than that now, man. We talked about him last week, a guy that uh, really helped himself at the Senior Bowl, mm. goes to the Combine, blows that out of the water. I mean, he leapfrogged Kyle Duggar on, yeah. on DJ's Did he really? I didn't, yes. even, I didn't even make that connection. Du- Duggar was in the top 50. Oh, and he loves Duggar. Out. They're two really, really good players. Yeah. Don't scout the helmet on these guys. Yep. They're, they're big, long, physical. I'm telling you, Jeremy Chen looks like Isaiah Simmons without the helmet on. Yeah, that's a... It's really interesting. Like I said, I, I was late coming around on, on Chin. I need to double check. I'm yeah. pretty sure you put Chin as a linebacker now. Yeah. Which Isaiah Simmons, linebacker, right. similar sure, mold. What is you it? Know. Uh, it's very interesting. Fourth yeah. round, uh, Nick Harris, the the center from Washington. Look, I, I think when you watch the film on him, he certainly schematically fits. I mean, he played center. He played a little bit of guard, but I think he's got a center build, really known for his athleticism, his ability to get out in space. And, you know, he was asked at the combine numerous times about comparisons to Jason Kelsey. And he talked about, yeah, I've, I've watched a lot of Jason Kelsey film. Getting up to the second level, screen he's game. Great that's that. a perfect uh, little protege uh, mentor. Uh, f- uh, fourth round pick as well, Akeem Davis Gaither, the linebacker love from it. App State. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of senior bowl guys here, which we love. Uh, Akeem Davis Gaither in the fourth round. Dane Jackson, the corner from Pitt. I've compared him in the past to Jalen Mills. I think there's a lot of similarities there in terms of the way that they play. Uh, fifth round, Devin Duvernay, uh, the wide receiver from Texas. Slot, inside, outside, kick return, uh, tough kid, yards after catch. I, I like a Devin He's another Duvernay. one that just stayed level through the conversation yep. of draft season, and other guys have kind of leapfrogged. He's done nothing wrong. He no. ran out of the building. He's a great slot right, four, receiver. Three, I just watched his tape. I didn't realize I put him in the backfield on Wildcat yeah. stuff. Yep. Does everything all these other gadget players do. Just It's just a deep class. He's like, built like Debo. He's got that lower half. He's got the team. running back yeah, build to no him. Question. Yeah. No question. Uh, I like Devin Duvernay a lot. Uh, Julian Blackman. I'll tell you one thing about Julian Blackman. He's the fifth-round pick here for the for uh, the Scouts Doubt. Free safety from Utah. Former corner. Made the move to safety this past year. Talking to those guys for that Utah defense, he was the leader. He was the guy that like wow. called the shots on that group. Was uh, like when he got hurt in the Pac-12 title game, or I think it was the week before the Pac-12 title game. Those guys all point to that and saying like losing Julian Blackman was a big deal for us. Like going into that, and they lost to to Oregon. It was a you know a, a tough loss. They would have gone to the playoff, but they also they, to a man they'll say like losing Julian was really really difficult for us. They might have eight players drafted just on defense, just on defense, and we might be talking about fifteen players drafted in the last two years from Utah. That's with 
all those linebackers yeah. and Cody Barton and those guys. He's and, doing an unbelievable job putting him uh, of I mean, not way, just recruiting but developing. I mean, Javelin Gidry. We're talking about Terrell Burgess maybe being a D2 yep. player now. Yep. Obviously, Lucky Fotu, Bradley and I, Francis Bernard's really uh, gained steam in the linebacker community. Yep. No question. Uh, and speaking of, oh, sixth Francis round pick, right Francis, Francis Bernard. <laughs> Utah, Utah. Uh, I love, dude, I, I love Francis Bernard. He's a guy that I'm really excited about. Uh, potential three down linebacker at the next level with what he's been able to do. Uh, former starter at BYU, transferred over to Utah, sat behind a couple draft picks from a year ago, and then took over as a starter as a senior and did really well. Went to the Senior Bowl, had a good week. Uh, solid workout at the combine. Didn't get hurt midway through. So what he what he did do? Listen, was there's good. some speedy linebackers in this draft. Yeah. The Willie Gays, the Akeem Davis Gaithers. So there's some him. massive linebackers. Malik Harrison, Kenneth Murray. Yep. He's kind of a mix He's of a everything, yeah. you know. And no I question. think that still needs to be coveted. Yep. I just talk. I spent a good amount of time with him in Mobile. I spent like seven, eight minutes with him. Just came away like liking him. Like, yeah, he's, he's got a, he's got a little bit of an edge to him, but like, dude? like yeah. yeah, like I I, can, yeah. I, I, I came away I came away like yeah. him. Uh, and the last one, sixth round, uh, Antonio Gandy Golden, uh, wide receiver from Liberty. Great value. Where, yeah. where do you where do you think he goes when it's all said and done? Probably right here in the sixth so? round. It's yeah. just such a deep receiver group. But he's big. He's long. He's tall. I don't know what he ran in Indy. What he ran like, four, four, four five you know, five he or went four like six. Third round? He went four six even. That's kind of what he is though. I mean, like, would it shock you if he went the end of day two? Yes, I think it would. Interesting. I just don't think he has the you know the tremendous upside. He's a bit of a catch point guy. Yeah. He doesn't have the gadget ability like those other guys I kind yep. of was talking about with being inside, outside, returner, backfield stuff. Sure. So a little bit more limited with his uh, play profile. No, he was great. I remember in the run blocking drills yes. at the senior bowl. Hey, where do you put oh, Michael yeah. Pittman? Where do you put I Colin know. Johnson? I know. I can't find spots for him on day two. Like, I know. There's going to be some really good players on day three. Well, that's why like Ch- Chase Claypool was right in that group, and then he went and blew up the combine, and now everyone's talking about him and like. Like but is Claypool round, playing 50. special teams for you? Probably, right? Yeah, yeah, Michael Pittman is playing special teams. Michael Pittman's a special teams player. I don't know if Andy yeah. Golden's playing special teams for you. I asked him at the senior ball, and he had never played any special right. teams. Right, so yep. these are the types of things that yes. are in the pecking order yep. that matters. Yeah. Do we care Good about point. punt gunning? Absolutely not. But when we have to decide between our receiver 12 and receiver 13... Who can do more for your team? Yep. Well, it's a very, very good point. Well, uh, we're going to wrap the show up on that. Really, really good stuff there. Appreciate that from the Scouts Dot, from the Biggest Cat, PTG Productions. Uh, hopefully, uh, Biggest Cat, you can give us a little bit of a bump up to a five-star review. But appreciate everybody that has done that over the last few weeks. We're, we're continuing to get a really good inflow uh, of ratings on there. And again, all those comments, they help boost us up in the rankings, let people, let more people find the show. So appreciate everybody that has done that over the last few weeks. All that being said, uh, we'll talk to you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA.